Now, I've got a disclaimer as we get started this morning. We're going to talk about money. And so if that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, let me encourage you to breathe in, breathe out, just relax. It's going to be okay. The fact of the matter is we can't talk about leaving a legacy without talking about money. Money is a big part of of how we leave a legacy, the money that that God has entrusted into our care, into our hands, and what we're going to do with it both now and later on. Those things help us build our legacy. So we're going to talk about money. But before we do, let's begin by reviewing for just a moment because we've been talking about legacy in a, in a lot of different areas. We, we began by talking about how to leave a legacy in your home. And we discovered that if you're going to leave a legacy in your home, you've got to know the Lord personally. You've got to love the Lord passionately. You've got to pursue the Lord consistently. And you've got to teach the Lord intentionally. And if you do those things in your home with your family You're going to leave a godly legacy. And many of our people made a commitment to leave a godly legacy with their children and with their children's children. And I've got good news for you. We are going to partner with you. Even right now, we are working on a plan on how we can present you with a a roadmap that will help you to leave that godly legacy. Because we want to be able to put into your hands how we can partner with you from the cradle until graduation, preparing your kids, preparing your grandkids to be the children that God wants them to be. And we've got to begin, don't we, by leaving a legacy in our home because if we fail there, we're going to fail everywhere else. Now, last week, we talked about leaving a legacy in the world, and and I want us to give God some praise if we can, because we had over 150 people make a commitment last week that they were going to leave a legacy in the world. So let's give God a hand. Would you do that? 150 people that said, we're going to leave a legacy in the world. They said they're going to clarify their calling. Their calling and their career is different. They are called to fulfill the Great Commission. 150 people who said we're going to make the main thing the main thing. 150 people who said we're not going to let opposition deter us. And then get this, 150 people who said that they were going to multiply themselves from here on out. You see, they were not going to only share the gospel. They were going to fulfill the Great Commission. And and the Great Commission begins with the gospel and it ends with the gospel as we equip others to share the gospel. And God only knows. God only knows what is going to happen in Lexington and Richland counties in the Midlands, around South Carolina, the United States, and the world over the next 10 years. Because of the people who made a commitment last week to leave a legacy in the world. And we're going to help you. Even right now, we're working on on how to equip you so that you can multiply yourself. Not only equip you to, to share your faith story. Not only equip you to share the gospel. But equip you 
to multiply yourself when you win someone, when you lead someone to Jesus. We want to help you know what the next steps are with them. And we want to disciple you and equip you in that. God's going to do some incredible things. But this morning, as we wrap up this series, I do want us to take a look at the part our money has to play in leaving a legacy for God's glory. I heard about a man who, who really didn't understand all of this afterlife stuff, and he wasn't sure how it worked. And so he told his wife, I'm not sure what happens in the afterlife, and so I want to be ready. And so I'm going to take $10,000, and I'm going to put it up in the attic. And when I die, I'm going to grab it as I go up, so I'll be ready for whatever is next. Well, after a while, he died. And his wife went up in the attic, and the money was still there. And his wife said, shoot, I knew I should have put that money in the basement. Now, we know that's not how this works. The Bible makes it clear that we cannot take our money with us regardless of where we're going. But the Bible does say that we can send our money on ahead. We can invest our money right here, right now, so that our money goes on before us. That's basically what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. I want you to listen to what he said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount in verses 19 and 20. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus was very clear. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth. Now, he wasn't telling us to, to not save and prepare for retirement. He wasn't even telling us not to enjoy the things of this earth. But what he was doing was talking about priorities, and he was talking about trust. You see, too many of us are trusting in our money, our resources, to give us both happiness and security. And yet, the fact of the matter is, at any moment, we can lose everything we have. Amen? I mean, thieves can steal it. The market can take it. I mean, at any moment, everything that is in our hands can be gone. And Jesus said... The smart thing for you and I to do is to use our resources to build the kingdom of heaven. And when we do, we will never lose our investment. Did you get that? If we are using our resources to build the kingdom of heaven, we're never going to lose those resources because they are going to be invested in things that will last forever. So when God looks at your money, when God looks at how you invested, is it showing that, that you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? When God looks at your money and, and how you invested, is it showing that, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength? Because this is vital. This is vital if, 
If we want to leave a legacy that is going to outlive us when it comes to our money. Now, I believe when the, the Bible speaks about legacy and the Bible speaks about money, it really gives us two different areas in which we need to leave a legacy. First, we're told that we leave a legacy through how we give our money now. Right now. While we're still alive, while we're still working, while we're still making money, we can leave a legacy by how we utilize that money. Now, the fact of the matter is we all have disposable income, every one of us. We have money that we can spend on things that are not necessary. You say, I don't believe that. Well, I can take you to a homeless shelter, and I can show you people in a homeless shelter who have cell phones. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world? I mean, I know, I, I know what cell phones cost. I know what plans cost. You see, the truth of the matter is we all have disposable income. When we go to the movie, when we go on vacations, when we do all kinds of things, that's disposable income. It's not money that we have to spend to live and survive. It's money that we choose to spend in, in a variety of ways. And there's nothing wrong with, with using some of our disposable income to enjoy life. But the Bible makes it very clear as followers of Christ, we are to use our money first and foremost for his glory. And the Bible even gives us guidelines on how we're to do that. Now, the Bible gives us some good examples, and the Bible gives us some bad examples. And so I want to give you both if I can, okay? First of all, some bad examples, because there's some bad examples in the Bible of how to leave a legacy with your money. The first one is found in Malachi chapter 3. Now, if you've been in church for a while, you're familiar with that passage. It's a passage that talks about giving. And in this passage, we see the people of Israel as the example. And we see that what they did was they robbed God. Now, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. It was written a little over 400 years before Jesus was born. Nehemiah had been sent to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of the city, and he did. He rebuilt the walls of the city physically. But spiritually, the people of God were still living in disarray. They were living in rebellion. Now, as you read in Malachi, you discover that the people were rebelling in a variety of ways. But the specific area which Malachi deals with is in the area of giving. He doesn't deal with their idolatry. He doesn't deal with their adultery. He doesn't deal with their perjury. He deals with the tithe. Notice what he said in verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, God says. God said they were robbing him by, by not giving their tithes and not giving their offerings. Now, you have been here 
At Northside, you know that a tithe is 10% of, of what we make. In those days, it would have been 10% of not only what they made, but what they grew. The offerings would be over and above that. And, and the Bible says they were doing neither. And verse 9 says this, because of that, I don't want you to miss this, because of that, the whole nation was under a curse. The prophet Malachi said to keep God's tithe is to invoke a curse upon yourself, your family, and your nation, or today perhaps, your church. Now why of all the sins did God point out that the tithe was the one that would invoke a curse from him? Well, in Deuteronomy 14 Verse 23, in the Living Bible, it says this. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. You see, the reason that, that tithing or not tithing is such a big deal is because it is symptomatic of a deeper problem, a more serious problem. You see, not tithing is, is not just disobeying God. It's not just rebelling against God is saying to God, God, you're not number one in my life. You're not most important to me. Now for this curse to be lifted, Malachi said what they needed to do was bring the whole tithe to the storehouse and, and God would rain down blessings upon them. Now they didn't. And the reason we know that they didn't is because for 400 years, there was no word from a prophet. There was no word of God given. For 400 years, the people of God were under a curse. So what was their legacy? Their legacy was spiritual darkness in their land. You see, when you and I aren't faithful to God in the way we utilize our money now, we are helping to Leave our world in spiritual darkness. The next bad example is found in the New Testament. It's the Pharisees. And, and in the Pharisees, we see that they neglected the weightier matters. They neglected the more important matters. Then there were two groups that, that Jesus was always at odds with. He was always at odds with the Sadducees and, and the Pharisees. And in Matthew 23, Jesus just laid in to these groups. And in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said this to them. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you pay tithe of men and anise and cumin, and yet you have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment and mercy and faith. These ought ye to have done, and yet not to leave the other undone. You see, the, the Pharisees were majoring on the minors and they were minoring on the majors. They were obeying the rules, but obeying the rules is never a substitute for a right spirit and a right heart. You see, the Bible makes it very clear that God doesn't just look at the outside what we do, how we obey the rules. He looks at the inside, our spirit and our heart, from which flows the obedience to God's rules. 
The Pharisees were tithing faithfully down to the very last cent. And notice this, Jesus didn't condemn them for that. As a matter of fact, he praises them. But the truth of the matter is, tithing is easy. Tithing is something that we can all do. It is a matter of discipline. It's a matter of making choices. That's all that is. And some of you are here today and you've never made that choice. And you're saying it's harder than you think. Listen, I know what it is to be newly married I know what it is to, to have a wife who, who is not working. I know what it is to be going to school full-time and working full-time and making $198 a week and living on that. I, I know what that's like. And I know what it's like to live obediently to God. And I know what it's like to allow God to just pour down his blessings on your life because you are living in obedience in that area of your life. So understand if you're, if you're telling me you don't know my situation, you don't know my circumstance, you're right, I don't. But, but you don't know what mine used to be. And yet I chose to be obedient. You see, tithing is just simply a choice that we make. But anyone can make that choice. The other three things that he mentioned, those things are foundations upon which a godly life is built. You see, I can choose to be obedient in areas of my life. And yet, if those three things are going to become evident in my life, the only way that that is going to ever happen is for God's Spirit to take up residence in me. And I am made a brand new person. And so these Pharisees, <laughs> they were hypocrites that was their legacy and, and and even today don't we don't we when we think about pharisees what do we think about we think about self-righteous hypocrites so the people of israel they left a legacy of spiritual darkness the pharisees they left a legacy of hypocrisy but then the final bad example is Ananias and Sapphira. We find that in, in Acts chapter 5. They lied to God. And if you look at the end of Acts chapter 4, there's a, a little paragraph that tells about Barnabas who had a field and he sold it and he laid the money at the apostles' feet to use for building the kingdom. Now, generosity was obviously a characteristic of the early church, but evidently what Barnabas did was over and above. I mean, for them to bring it out in a paragraph in Scripture, it's obvious that what Barnabas did was sacrificial in a very real way. And so Ananias and Sapphira were part of the church with Barnabas, and they saw perhaps all the accolades, all the attention that, that Barnabas got because of his gift. And, and they began to speak among themselves, it says in Acts 5. And, and they decided that they wanted this kind of attention on themselves. And so they sold a piece of land. And they brought some of the prophets to the apostles, laid it at their feet. But they didn't tell the apostles that, that we've sold this piece of land and we're giving some of the money for the kingdom of God, they, they said we sold this piece of land and we're bringing all the money to give to you. They lied 
to God. And look what it says in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for this land? Did it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, was it the money at your disposal? What made you think you could do such a thing? You have not lied to man but to God. Notice a couple of things here. It says that Satan filled his heart. Satan filled his heart. It says that he kept some of the money for himself. Now, now this, is, this is an important word here because, because in, in the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 6 and Joshua chapter 7, when we're reading the story of the sin of Achan, you know, where they went into Jericho and they destroyed the city and they were supposed to take everything and give it to God. It was a devoted thing. It was set apart for God. The word devoted thing and the word for kept here is the exact same word. And so Ananias and Sapphira were telling everyone that they had devoted all of their resources to the kingdom of God and yet they hadn't. They had done just like Achan. They had kept some of it for themselves. Do you remember what happened in the Old Testament because of Achan's sin? The people of God lost a battle. The people of God would never again experience victory until that sin was dealt with. This was a serious thing. And we see in Acts chapter 5 that it was a serious issue as well because God struck Ananias and then God struck his wife Sapphira down dead. This is a big deal. Uh, their, their legacy was deception. They were giving this ruse that, that they were all in when in reality they were not all in. Some bad examples in the Bible. We've got plenty of bad examples in the world today. Let me give you some good examples. Because the Bible also gives us some good examples. The first one is the people of Israel when they gladly and regularly gave to God. Now, we can see this in multiple places, but in Second Chronicles 23 and 24, we read the story of King Joash. And, and, and if ever there was a dysfunctional family, King Joash had one. His father Azariah was a wicked king who followed the ways of Ahab. And the Bible says that Azariah's mother eventually wanted to be queen, so she had him killed, and she took over the throne. And then she tried to kill all of her grandchildren so she could be the only one who had rule and could reign over Judah. But the priest hid Joash, and he was hid in the temple until his sixth birthday. And on his sixth birthday, they brought Joash out and they crowned him king. They killed his grandmother. And Joash, as a little child, began to rule. As he grew in years, the Bible says he lived a life that was pleasing to God. And one of the things that he noticed was that the temple was in disrepair. Because the, the people had been following pagan gods and, and worshiping idols, they had not taken care of the temple. And this broke Joash's heart. And so Joash had this desire 
to restore the temple to its glory to honor God. And in 2 Chronicles 24, verses 9 through 11, we read this. A proclamation was then issued that they should bring to the Lord the tax that Moses, the servant of God, had required. All the officials and all the people brought their contributions gladly, dropping them into the chest, and it was full. They did this regularly and collected a great amount of money. And so Joash shared the need. The people began to give their offerings to God. And because of their faithfulness, the temple was rebuilt. God's work was restored. Now notice a couple of things about them that you see from, from this, these two verses. They gave obediently. They gave in, in light of the tax that, that Moses had decreed. The tax that it's talking about is simply the tithe. You see, these people had learned that giving was not a matter of choice. Giving isn't, isn't a matter of money. Giving is a matter of obedience. So they gave obediently because that's what they were supposed to do. They gave collectively. If you look at that verse again, you'll see that word all. They all gave. They didn't all give the same amount because they had different amounts. But they all gave. They gave gladly. The people were not only happy to give, they gave happily. They enjoyed giving. They gave regularly. This wasn't a temporary solution. It was ongoing. And the reason is because uh, this was something they were supposed to do anyway. And so the work continued there, but it continued on after the temple was restored. And they gave generously. They didn't give a token. They didn't give a tip. They gave sacrificially. And what was their legacy? Their legacy was the temple was restored. God's work began again. And the people of God experienced the presence of God for a short period of time again. So the people of Israel. The second example is in the New Testament. And it's the story of the widow that we read about in Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, the end of that chapter, Jesus is sitting with his disciples at the temple. And, and it's, it's crazy because Jesus is sitting there watching people give. That's kind of awkward, isn't it? I mean, what would you think? <laughs> and I'm not Jesus. But, but what would you think if, if, you know, I said, hey, you know, Scott, you take this side. Steve, you take this side. I'm going to take the middle. And let's just, let's just watch and see what people are giving. <laughs> would you feel a little strange? I bet you'd start making some phone calls. Oh, yeah. But Jesus was sitting there watching the people give, and he observed. And he saw that the rich people, some of them gave a whole lot of money. And then there was this widow. There was this widow that gave two mites. Two mites. And this is what Jesus said in, in Mark 12, verse 44. He said, they gave all their wealth, the rich people. or They gave out of their wealth, the rich people. But she out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. You see, when people came to the temple, it was normal, it was natural for them to give. And Jesus saw the rich gave, and some gave large amounts, but, but then this widow came in, and 
she gave two mites. And on a day's wage at that time, listen, a day's wage was a denarius. And, and it took 128 mites to equal one denarius. Did you get that? A day's wage was 128 mites. That's what she had. She gave all she had. She gave two mites. Now, to say that she was poor would be an understatement, amen. She was destitute. She had nothing. And listen, she had no family. She was a widow, so she had no one to fall back on. And yet, she gave everything she had. Why did she do that? Because she didn't see giving as a duty. She saw giving as a privilege. And she gave everything she had. Wow. The word more in verse 43 that we don't have here literally means the largest. In other words, Jesus said to his disciples, this woman has given a larger gift than everybody else who has come in today. They were confused. <laughs> she gave two mites. We've seen people give incredibly large gifts. How is this the largest? Here's how. She gave out of her poverty. They gave out of their wealth. You, you see, the size of our gift is not so much determined by how much we give. It may perhaps be better determined by how much we have left after we give. Some people can give big gifts and, and it not phase them. But yet this widow gave everything she had. Talk about sacrifice. And then one final good example, and that's the churches in Macedonia. And as we read this story, we discover they gave beyond their ability. Now, I encourage you, if you haven't read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 in a while, to go back and just read that entire story of, of what they gave and how they give. But I want to read two verses to you. In verses 2 and 3 of chapter 8, it says, Out of the most severe trial, their, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. How do you give beyond your ability? I mean, the widow, she gave two mites, she gave everything she had, but she had the ability to give that, Right? She had it in her possession. To give beyond your ability is to give more than you have. How do you, how do you give more than you have? The only way is by living a life of faith. That's the only way. When we give more than we have, we're stepping into the arena of faith living because of our faith giving and we're having to to depend on God and not on our own resources to meet our needs that's big 
I mean, it's pretty amazing these, these Israelites who just came regularly and obediently and gave their resources so that the temple could be restored and the temple could be functioning. That was pretty amazing. They were giving obediently and they were glad to do it. And then this widow who, who she was in abject poverty and yet she gave everything she had. And, and we think to ourselves, how can that be topped? She's giving everything. And then we read about the people in this church who were living in extreme poverty and they not only gave what they had, they gave more than they had. They stepped out in faith and said, the need is so great and the call is so important that we're going to trust God. We're not only going to live by faith we're going to give by faith so how do we leave a legacy we leave a legacy by how we give our money right now but let me just take four or five minutes to tell you how we can leave a legacy even after we're gone how we can leave a legacy through how we leave our money you see when you're dead and gone something's going to happen to your money did you know that I mean, either, either the government's going to get it, your kids are going to get it, or somebody's going to get it. And then you're going to say, some of you, I know, well, we don't have anything to leave. What I've discovered is most people have something to leave. We, we leave something. And so what are we going to do with the money that we leave once we're dead and gone? Well, I believe biblically there are two things that we need to do. Everything else, everything else, I mean, we can, we can choose what we want to do. But there are two things biblically that I think we all need to do with our money even after we're dead and gone. First of all, we need to leave some to our children. I think that's a good thing. And some of you may be saying right now, well, my children are spoiled. Or they didn't get that way on their own. <laughs> right? If they're spoiled, who spoiled them? The Bible says that, that we should leave some of our money to our children. In Proverbs 13, it says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. I mean, my wife and I have a will, like I hope every one of you have, and, and some of our resources are going to our children and our children's children, our grandchildren, when we die. We've got that written out. We've got that specified. This is what we want to happen. And now, hear me. I pray that our children are writing their own legacy. I pray that our children aren't waiting for us to croak so that they can live comfortably. I certainly hope not. I hope that I've taught them better than that. But I do want to bless my children. Sherry wants to bless our children when, when we're dead and gone. And so you leave some to your children. But then you should leave some to the Lord. Let me give you an example. First Chronicles 29, 1 and 3. Listen to what it says. This is at the end of, of the book of First Chronicles. And it says, then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, my son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and 
and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command, I've gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. And now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to those in the, constru- in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I've already collected for his holy temple. Now let me give you a little bit of backstory. David is an old man. He's slain giants. He's conquered kingdoms. He's built Israel into a great nation. And though there were times when David committed terrible sins, the Bible makes it clear that David was a man after God's own heart and he loved the Lord and had a desire to serve the Lord. And because of that love, he had a desire to build a temple for the Lord. But the Lord made it clear. You've got blood on your hands and I'm not going to let you build the temple. Your son Solomon is going to build the temple And so David wanted to prepare for his son to take over and and he began to collect resources for the temple to be built but all the resources he could collect was not enough. So here he is. At the end of chapter 29, he's going to die. Did you hear me? At the end of chapter 29, David is going to die. And as he is preparing for his death, what does he say? He says, right here, right now, I am giving all my private treasuries of gold and silver to help in this construction. In other words, he's saying, when I am dead and gone, everything that I have stored up, I'm going to use for the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not asking you to be like David. Though if you want to, that's wonderful. But what I am saying to you is each and every one of us should follow the example of David when it comes to the resources that are left in our disposal as we approach death. In our will, as I said, we have have money that is left to our children and to our children's children. But we also have money that is left to Northside. We have money that is left to missions. And the reason is, is because we want to leave a legacy. And when when we've looked, when we've looked at, goodness gracious, if, God forbid, I don't even want to tell you this, but if I died right now because of life insurance and my wife died with me because of life insurance, man, our, our church would... Be blessed pretty good. Now, don't go out and try anything. I mean, as I grow older and hopefully live a long life as the Lord tarries, I mean, some of those life insurance policies aren't going to be worth as much as they are right now, I I would think. But goodness gracious, I've, I've done the math, and the largest gift that my wife and I will ever be able to give is after we're dead and gone. Ten times over. Twenty times over. And the fact of the matter is, each and every one of us can do the same thing. And so why shouldn't we do that? You see, we leave a legacy in our home with our kids by how we live before them and how we teach them. 
We leave a legacy in the world by how we share the gospel here and around the world. And we leave a legacy through our money, through our finances, by, by what we give right now as, as we're working together to build his kingdom, but also as we prepare our wheels. And we're thinking about there will come a day when I'm no longer here. And so how can I utilize my money for the glory of God even then? And now for you who are part of the Northside family, I would hope that Northside would be a part of that. But what I'm here to tell you is, whether it's Northside or not, you need to invest in the kingdom of God so that when you're dead and gone, your legacy will continue. Now, this coming year, it's going to be an incredible year because we're going to do more in helping our families leave a legacy in our home than ever before. I'm convinced that 2017, we're going to see more people come into the kingdom than ever before as we begin to multiply ourselves. I'm pumped. I'm excited. But I got to tell you, I'm also excited that if the Lord tarries and he doesn't come back in the next 5, 10, 15 years or in my lifetime... I'm excited because I've made investments so that when I'm dead and gone, I can help Northside continue to carry on the business of reaching the world. I want to leave a legacy. And I think you want to leave a legacy too. So what are you going to do? Well, I pray you'll leave a legacy by what you give. You know, today you're supposed to turn in your commitment cards for, for what you're going to commit to give this coming year as part of the Northside family. I hope you've come prepared to do that. You can turn that in the offering plate in, in a few minutes as we do that. But I also encourage you to pray about leaving a legacy even after you're dead and gone. Make an eternal difference, okay? I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes, and with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I just want to pray a simple prayer right now. I'm going to pray for us as we conclude this series on legacy. And I'm going to pray that we will be a church that leaves a legacy that touches the world by how we raise our kids by how we multiply ourselves spiritually and by how we utilize our resources. Pray with me. Father God Almighty, I believe you've called us to greater things. I thank you for your blessings. You have blessed us incredibly over the last 10 years. As a matter of fact, Lord, you've blessed this church throughout the years. You've, you've used this church in an incredible way. I thank you, Lord, for the people who have started coming to church, the people who have become Christ followers, 
I thank you for the families that have been restored. I thank you for the the mission work that has been done. But Lord, I believe that greater things lie ahead. I believe you want to multiply our legacy, Lord. And Lord, help us to be the parents, the grandparents you've called us to be. Lord, in this room are parents and grandparents who can make an impact. Use them. Father God, I pray that we will leave a legacy in the world. Lord, as we step into this new year and we get ready to be equipped to multiply ourselves by discipling those we reach. Father God, I pray you'll use us to not just change the Midlands, not just change South Carolina, but change North America and change the world. Lord God, as we wrap up this series today, I pray, Lord, that we will become a people that leave a legacy with our gifts. Make us generous people that not only give today, but prepare to give even beyond the grave. And Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.